You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. Let's get to see you this evening. If you would, please join with me in turning to Matthew chapter 25. And we come tonight to verse 14, Matthew chapter 25. We read verses 14 through 30. Our Lord said this, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and handed over his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you handed five talents over to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you handed two talents over to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Therefore, you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's go to our Lord together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts as we make our way through this section of your holy word. We pray that you would meet with us tonight in a special way, Lord, in a unique way as we look at these verses, that you would not only 
allow the light of Your Word to break in upon our minds and hearts, but that Your Spirit would work at the same time bringing change to us. Lord, wherever sin needs to be confessed, may that be brought to our minds. May our resolve to serve You be strengthened. May a boldness be created in us or fortified in us that allows us in, in these days, these days in which we're living, to serve You in a way that we can say we are not ashamed. You know the needs of every person sitting in this room. You know the needs of this congregation. Lord, would You meet those needs with the all-sufficient Word of God, the proclamation of Your Holy Word. Lord, help me to preach. Help us to listen. We'll give You praise for what You do. In Jesus' name, Amen. As I've made my way through the Olivet Discourse, especially this week, but throughout, but especially this week, the thought has occurred to me that I'm amazed at how our Lord was indeed the Master Teacher. Now, I know that that is just the most obvious thing in the world. This is the Lord of glory. This is the Son of God. Of course, He is the Master Teacher. But I mean, there's an admiration that wells up in my heart as I watch what He's doing. He gives us everything that we need to live the lives that would honor Him until He returns. He doesn't leave out one thing that's necessary to that kind of life. Every necessary nuance, every necessary emphasis He addresses. Just the previous section is a great example of this. He exhorted His disciples to be alert, to be ready. But He doesn't stop with simply saying, be ready. He goes on to describe what that life of readiness consists of, what it looks like, what it's characterized by. We saw that the life of alertness is a life of faithfulness and wisdom. It means embracing our identity as His slaves. It means wanting to be a faithful steward of what He entrusts to us so that we're living our lives really with one aim in front of us, and that is to be faithful, to be found faithful. Well, in the same way, we saw a parable this morning that preaches to us, be prepared. Be prepared while the preparation is possible. The preparation, of course, being regeneration, salvation. Be prepared. But again, He doesn't stop there. With this next parable, there's something additional. There's something else that He knows we need in order to really receive and embrace and live out what He's exhorting us to. So that now in this parable, He goes on to describe the character of preparedness. The kind of activity that belongs to preparedness. It's one thing to say, be prepared. It's another thing to say, now here's what it looks like to be prepared. Here's what the prepared person lives like. That's what he does in these verses. As he does this, he is making a crucial point that addresses a common misunderstanding when we think about being ready for the return of Christ. And the error that we're often subject to can be put in the form of a question. If I'm living a watchful life, if I'm living my life waiting for, looking for, longing for the return of Jesus, will it be a life of passivity? 
Is it passive waiting? Or we could say, is it a life of inactivity? Is it a life paralyzed by fear? If I'm really waiting for the return of Jesus, how will I think about investing in the moment? Is all of my activity sort of wasted in my mind if Jesus is returning anyway? Or do I see instead that this time until Jesus returns represents a time of great opportunity, a time ripe for investment, where I need to take what the Lord has entrusted to me and make the most of it? Does the alert person, does the prepared person live his or her life with something like this in their mind? Jesus could return today, so I'm going to do nothing but sit here and look to the skies. Is that the right attitude? Well, you know the answer is no, and we're going to see that the answer is no, and we're going to see it through this parable that he gives us, the parable of the talents. It is the story of a man who entrusts his slaves with his possessions. And he entrusts them with the, with the hope and with the belief that they, knowing him, knowing his character, knowing what they can expect from him, they will do something productive with what he's entrusted to them. This is our God's calling upon our lives, that we, knowing Him, will take the opportunities, the gifts, the abilities that He's put into our hands and make the most of those things, looking for His return, waiting until the day that we meet Him, waiting and working, working and waiting. These are the lives we're called to live. We'll get this parable tonight under four headings. I'll just mention them as we come to them. Four things I want to say about this parable. First of all, this is a parable about the prepared life. He's just talked about preparation. And what I want you to notice in verse 14 is there really isn't an introduction to the next parable. We just jump right into it. We just flow right into it. The first word in the Legacy Standard Version is, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves. And he goes on with the parable. Commentators have noted this, that the movement into the next parable is very abrupt. In fact, verse 13 sort of serves like a bridge. Verse 12, but he answered and said, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, Jesus says in applying that parable, stay awake, for you do not know the day nor the hour, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey. And so this is just carrying on the same theme, the same subject matter, Parable number one, be prepared. Parable number two, this is what preparedness looks like. This is what the prepared life consists of. So the first observation about this parable is it's about the prepared life. Second thing we see about the parable, it's about investment. It's a parable about investment. It's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and handed over his possessions to them, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and gained five more talents. 
So he takes what he was given and he invests it. He makes use of it. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Take note of the elements of the story. As I said this morning, the Lord, He's just bringing out through illustration the principles that He's taught us earlier. He has said it to us. Now He's showing it to us. Take note of the elements of the story. First of all, you have a master who goes away. He's going away. He's going on a journey. Of course, you know, the Lord Jesus, as He speaks this to His disciples, has already told them, I'm going away. But when you say He's going away on a journey, that in and of itself has the promise of return, doesn't it? I'm not going away permanently. I'm going away on a journey. And I'm entrusting these things to you until I come back. So a master who goes away, but with the promise of return, who gives to his slaves stewardships. And these are significant trusts. He's entrusting talents to them. Five talents to one, two talents to another, one talent to another slave. This is significant. D.A. Carson made the point, it's hard to be precise in terms of the value of a talent, but we can sum up the earning power represented in general terms. Listen to what Carson says. He says, it may be more sensible to compare the talent with modern currency in terms of earning power. If a talent was worth 6,000 denarii, then it would take a day laborer 20 years to earn so much. So one talent... 20 years of a day laborer's earnings. He goes on to say, perhaps $300,000. If the weight was of gold, then the value was much greater. Yes, yeah, so you had silver talents, you had gold talents. That's why he says it's, it's difficult to be precise about the value. But at the very least, what we can say tonight is we're talking about a large sum of money that was entrusted to these slaves, even to the one who was given just one talent. He was given what at the least would have amounted to about 15 years worth of earnings for the average person. Master going away, but he leaves in the hands of his slaves significant things. Something else I want you to notice, third observation, verse 15. He entrusts these stewardships according to ability. He takes their ability into account. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Notice, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Each one was given a different opportunity. Yet each one is equal in the sense that he has responsibility. Not an equal assignment, but an equal culpability for what you've been assigned. I love that. That should inform our mindset even now as believers as we think about being the slaves of our Savior, the slaves of our God, the servants of our Master. How many believers are sidetracked by comparing what they've been entrusted with to what someone else has been entrusted with? If you want to be a faithful slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to learn to be content with whatever you are assigned. And then to understand what is most important for me or for you or for anyone of us 
is not necessarily what the Lord has given us to do, but rather, what have I done with what the Lord has given me to do? Instead of wanting more, a larger stewardship, what we ought to be longing for is to be faithful with whatever is our stewardship. If He entrusts to you five talents, well, will you be faithful with five? If He entrusts to you two Will you be faithful with two? If he entrusts you with one, will you be faithful with one? And do you trust that your master is perfectly wise so that he won't entrust any of us with something that with his grace we could not be faithful with? He's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. He regulates every test we face. So responsibility entrusted according to ability. Fourth thing I want you to notice as we think about the details of the parable, two of these slaves improved what they were given. The one who had been given five talents, he turns it into ten. The one who had been given two talents, he turned it into four. And when it says in verse 16 that the one who received the five talents went and traded with them, you're not to think about the stock market. Rather, what it means is he put it to work. He went to work with the money and he turned it into a prophet. And the faithfulness of this slave is on display. His love for his master, his loyalty to his master, his desire to please his master is seen in verse 16, the very first word. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with him. I mean, he is, he is on it right away. The master has barely left before this one is already at work wanting to honor the master in terms of what he's been entrusted with. And the Bible says that the one who had improved the two talents did what he did, verse 17, in the same manner, in the same manner. So two of these slaves went to work while the master is away in light of the day when he would return, and they wanted to be found faithful. But then Jesus' parable tells us about one slave who did nothing with what he was given, takes his master's money and he buries it. In that day, that would have been even safer than a bank. So he, he, he goes for absolute safety with what he's been given, and he buries it in the ground. But in burying his master's money, he makes no improvement on it. He does nothing with it. So this is a parable about the prepared life and... What we see about the prepared life is it is a life that needs to consider investment. This is a parable about investment. The third thing we see about the parable, verses 19 through 28, is a parable about a day of accounting. A parable about a day of accounting, verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you handed five talents over to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you handed two talents over to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. 
I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Therefore, you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. A few things I want to note here. First of all, you see that the Lord in His perfect wisdom is preparing His men for a longer time of His being away than they would have ever imagined. It's easier for us now 2,000 years down the road to recognize what He was doing, but He was doing it even then because in verse 19, notice it says, after a long time, the master of those slaves came. And if you look back to the previous section, Verse 5, the bridegroom was delaying. And on it goes throughout the Olivet Discourse. He is continually preparing His disciples for a longer time away than they would have imagined for the time that we're living in, the church age. But even though it will be longer than they imagine, it will not be forever. After a long time, the master of those slaves came. He is coming. And when He comes, He's going to settle the accounts. This is a day of accounting. What do you see about the faithful slaves in verses 20 and 21? They recognize that they are still His slaves. They've been doing what they've been doing on His behalf, in service to Him. What they have made improvement on is still His property. They weren't the owners of it, they were the stewards of it. Which is why He comes and they have to settle account. They're accountable for what they've done with what He gave to them. And you can just hear it in the description of the parable, can't you? They rejoice to be able to present to Him what they've done with what He's entrusted to them. They've proven themselves faithful. And He praises them as faithful. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things praises them, and then entrusts them with more. And their reward is in union with their Lord. He says to them, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your kurios, into the joy of your Lord. It's not some kind of reward separate from the master. It's reward in the presence of the master. They prove themselves faithful. Their reward... Verses 22 and 23, the way that our Lord tells the story, their reward emphasizes the fact they were not rewarded according to what they returned to Him necessarily. In other words, the amount. The man who returns 10 is not rewarded differently than the man who returns 4. They're rewarded based upon not the amounts they were entrusted with, but what they did with what they were entrusted with. They're rewarded based upon their faithfulness. And I say this because you'll notice that as He praises them, 
our Lord is careful to tell the parable this way. He praises them in the exact same way. Master, you handed five talents over to me. See, I've gained five more talents. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Master, you handed two talents over to me. See, I've gained two more talents. What does he say? He says, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The exact same words. What is emphasized is faithfulness. This is all you and I should be aiming at, to be faithful. This is the mindset of the awake ones. You see, this is the same subject matter. This is the mindset of the awake ones. This is the mindset of the prepared ones. This is the mindset of those who invest with what the Lord has entrusted to them. He is the master. We are His slaves. And our standard, our desire, our joy is to be found faithful with our stewardship. You have been given something unique to you. Don't waste your time comparing what you've been given to do with someone else. The question is, what are you going to do with what you've been given to do? And I can guarantee you on the authority of Scripture, when the day arrives that we meet our Savior face to face, you and I will not be obsessing over what we were given to do. Rather, we're going to be asking, what did I do with what you gave me to do? Oh, that I might be found faithful. But there's an unfaithful slave in this parable, isn't there? Verse 24, And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping what you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid, went away, hid your talent in the ground. Here. Here's what you gave me. See? You have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scatter no seed. Therefore, you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Notice about the unfaithful slave. He did not invest his life and efforts into what his master entrusted to him. The other slaves immediately go to work, investing their life, investing their efforts to be found faithful with what they were entrusted. This man expends no energy on it, buries it in the ground. And the parable doesn't say, but perhaps if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of such a person, seems that perhaps he is shielding himself as he is putting forth no effort. He still wants to be protected against the charges of theft or the charge of waste. And so he just says, I'll give it back exactly as it was given to me. Can't find fault with that, can he? I mean, he's getting back what he gave to me. I didn't lose it. Didn't spend it on myself. What is he doing? Even in his own mind, he is excusing himself. And he does this by attacking the character of his master. He actually blames his master for his own inactivity. Verse 24 and 25. He says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. That is, I know you're a man who likes to get something where you've expended no effort. 
You're hard. I wouldn't want to cross you. And you're the kind of man who gets something where you put forth no effort. So I was fearful. Your character made me afraid. And so I went and I buried it because I was afraid. I mean, someone who would do what he describes his master doing would be someone who takes advantage of others, who builds his empire, as it were, on the backs of people he takes advantage of. Excusing himself, blaming his master all the while. You know what he's doing? He's lying to himself. What this day of accounting does for this wicked slave is that it exposes not only his lies about the master, because you see the master's generosity with the faithful slaves, but it exposes his lies that he's told to himself. Still going on. This world is full of people who are wasting their lives away in the spiritual realm, yet praising themselves, excusing themselves every step of the way. I understand the words of the master in verse 26 to be full of some sarcasm. He says, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Well, then you ought to have put my money in the bank. I mean, at least then you would have had some return for me. If the master is truly hard, if the master truly expects a return where he puts forth no effort, then the least the slave would have done, the bare minimum he would have done, would be try to satisfy him without risk. I mean, you still are striving to satisfy such a hard man, right? I mean, a man who expects something in return. You just go buried in the ground? No, the master exposes this man with his opening words when he says, you are wicked and you are lazy. What explains your activity is not your fear of me. What explains your activity is your wickedness and your laziness. This is a parable that exposes what really fuels our activity as we see faithful and unfaithful slaves. A day of accounting is coming. Fourth and final point. This is a parable about the judgment that awaits. And when we get down to verses 28 through 30, once again what stands out for us is that this is really the difference between salvation and damnation. Regeneration and the unregenerate. Someone who really knows the Master, someone who doesn't really know the Master. Look at verse 28. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Now notice, and throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. Once again, the outcome of not being awake, not being prepared, not living this life of investment. What is the outcome? It's lostness, forever lostness. Misery, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The judgment of the unfaithful slave is he loses what he had. You had something. You had an opportunity. Something was entrusted to you. But now it's going to be taken away from you, verse 28. Take away the talent from him. Take it away from him. 
God has given you a life conceived in your mother's womb. Never would that have occurred apart from God. He granted you this life that you have. That life represents a spiritual opportunity because in the sovereign, gracious, loving kindness of God, there was a day, I know this about the people sitting in this room, there was a day when you met with the gospel, an opportunity to know your Creator, an opportunity that your sins would be forgiven, an opportunity to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, an opportunity to spend your life on behalf of the Master, the Lord, who gave His life to save sinners like us. You've been given something. But when the day arrives that the Master returns, when the day of accounting arrives, when the time to settle accounts arrives, will we find that you've done nothing with what He gave to you? And perhaps excused your unbelief, excused your wickedness, excused your spiritual laziness which characterizes the lost, I mean, there's no desire for God that belongs to the unregenerate nature. Have you tried to excuse all of that based upon a distortion of the character of God? Matthew 16.25 says, For whoever wishes to save his life, hold on to life as you've known it from birth, shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Have you remembered that what Jesus says there about losing your life and gaining His or holding on to your life and losing it? Have you forgotten this in the context of His return? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Have your deeds been wrought in God? Do they reflect the saving work of God? Or are you natural, unregenerate, still in your sins? Who are you living for? So he loses what he had. But the judgment of the unfaithful slave is also the loss of what he could have had. What he could have had. He loses what he had, but he also loses what he could have had. Take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. One of the saddest elements of damnation will be the knowledge that a man's everlasting damnation is something he was responsible for. God is sovereign in salvation, but man is responsible for his own damnation in the sense that things could have been different if he had wanted them to be different. But he didn't. This is a consistent way the Bible presents it. If God leaves sinful man to himself, if he leaves a man to make the decisions he would make without God, man doesn't want God. So God is not infusing him with wickedness and laziness and unbelief. It is already there. 
All God has done with the non-elect is leave them to their own desires, to their own choices, to what they really want. And they don't really want God, so He gives them what they want. No lost man will ever be able to complain that God gave him something he didn't want. He got what he wanted. So that in the case of every elect person, what God has done is graciously intervened in our case and granted to us the desire for what we would have never desired without Him. Opened our hearts, opened our eyes, imparted life to us through the new birth so that we desired the one whom we never desired before and believed Him whom we never believed before and received Him whom we would have never received on our own so that salvation is all of God in the final analysis. One day, what the lost man has will be taken away and given to someone else. Someone else will have what could have been his. Our Lord gave voice to this same truth when He wept over Jerusalem. Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. You were not willing. What a terrible thing it's going to be in hell when men not only recognize that they lost what they were trying to hold on to, but they lost everything they could have had if they had let go and trusted the one who was offering them everything in his son. The judgment of the unfaithful slave is presented as everlasting darkness and misery. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, sorrow, regret, pain, forever. So we return to the question that the parable really answers. We're told to be awake. We're told to be prepared. What does watchfulness look like? What does it mean to be prepared? It's not watching without working. It's not working, you know, immersing yourself in the things of the world without watching. It's a life of investing. Being busy with the spiritual opportunity that your very life represents. What will you spend your life on? What will you devote yourself to? And you have this window of time, I have this window of time, in which I can invest my life in that which will last forever. I can store up my treasure in heaven. Or I can go about my life as though Jesus is never returning. The Master is never coming home from His journey. And so I'll take this opportunity He's given me. My life, the gifts He's entrusted to me, I can take all this just buried in the earth and try to salve my conscience with accusations against God that will never excuse me because if I really knew the Master the way that I claim to know Him, I would know He is generous and kind and good. What He expects of me is to be faithful. Not with what He hasn't given me, but with what He has given me. However small the amount is. 
Be faithful with that. Make use of that. Put it to work. Invest it in forever. That's the life of being awake. That's the life of being prepared. Someone who is prepared through regeneration, this is how they live. Wanting to spend and be spent on behalf of the one who has saved us. That desire, that knowledge was imparted to us through salvation. Just like I said about being awake, I can say about this life of investment. I would not say, the Bible would not say that all believers bear fruit to the fullest of their potential. Some bear 30, some 60, some 100 fold. There are times you and I are more fruitful than at others. There are times that we are far less fruitful than we should be given what the Lord has given to us. But I know this about every genuinely converted person. You want your life to be spent for Christ. You want your life to matter for eternity. You want to hear one day that you were faithful with what He entrusted to you. And that's what this parable is about. Is that in your heart? Is that your desire? And if not... The problem is not that the Lord has entrusted too little to you. The problem is you don't have the right mindset about what He's given you. So may the Lord help us, strengthen us, to realize our time is brief. Seventy years, eighty by reason of strength, Psalm 90 talks about. Whatever the length of our life turns out to be, it's like a breath. So let's don't waste it. Let's don't waste it. Let's receive the warnings and the exhortations of our Savior as He's telling us about the fact He's coming again. He's away on a journey, but He's coming again. The day will arrive. Let's look to that day and say, Lord, work in my life so that when You arrive, I will hear, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll entrust much to You, and You will have Your reward in my presence. Your reward is in union with your master. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this section that has challenged us every step of the way and for making so clear that even the right attitudes are not explained by us in the final analysis, though we have a responsibility once we are alive. But Lord, you're the one who made us alive to these things. You're the one who's granted us the faith that we have in our Savior, all that He did for us in His first coming and the fact that He's coming again. Lord, this is Your doing, that we see this and believe this and want to live our lives in view of this. And so it is our prayer, mine and my brothers and sisters, that You would work in us in such a way, strengthen us in such a way, that we would be awake and we would be investing our lives and one day be able to hear that we've pleased you. Do this, Lord, for your glory. Do this for our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.